Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with the scrappy, intrepid reporter, Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, everyone's favorite local newspaper. Uh, this podcast is also supported by Worthy Brewing, putting education first, utilizing green technologies, and experimenting daily to brew the best damn beer in the Pacific Northwest while treading as lightly on the earth as possible, living out our mantra, earth first, beer second. Uh, our guest today is Ben Hempson, City of Ben business advocate. He was born in the UK and moved to the US at age seven. He's from Portland, uh, has a BS in political science from OSU and an MA in public affairs from the University of Florida. Worked for six years on regional energy policy in the Pacific Northwest before being lured away by the City of Bend in 2016. Uh, he's responsible for business communications, policy to the City of Council via the Bend Economic Development Advisory Board, and he is your guy for direct assistance to business and their interaction with the city. Ben, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I, I kind of said this earlier when we were chatting, but um, you, you've got to be, uh, I'm curious about whether you, you're busier now than you were prior, because I know you were uh, probably the busiest person in the city before. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I mean, Eric King stays pretty busy, for example. Right, you know? <laughs> right. sure. Um, I would say it's been, it's been kind of weird, and as it has been for everyone, right, at sort of highs and lows. Um, the first, I remember getting a text on the Sunday before the restaurant closures came in, right, the order from the, right. the governor on the Monday, and it was, um, we got to get this information out, right, wrote an email and hit send, you know, and this is, I think, Monday the 16th or something like that. And the next morning, there were 400 emails in my inbox from people just confused that had received my newsletter, right? So um, there's kind of been this adrenaline at the beginning. And then since then, it's been much more a project comes along or a crisis and you address that and then feels like you're in a lull for maybe a day. There's some openings in your calendar and then there's something else, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. A lot of highs and lows. Been a bit of a grind, but it has been yeah. for everyone. So yeah, and is that is that different from the way it was before? <laughs> <laughs> I think before it was a little more. There's there's a little more. I was going to say strategery, but strategy behind um, uh, the work. Right. Uh, my my work is governed by this economic development advisory board that reports or advises city council, uh, and public meetings just shut down for a good two three months. Right, statewide, uh, probably sure. nationwide. So. Um, not having that sort of guidance and really just diving into the issues on the, what what was the biggest issue at that moment uh, for a couple of months was it was different and yeah probably more work than before so so right now you're you're one of the people who's working on um, strategically opening up the um, streets to restaurants for seating and um, trying to help them get a little more economic juice um, could you tell us a little bit about that program yeah so um, this is happening again nationwide. I think we're seeing restaurants open everywhere with reduced capacity, right? And depending on the restaurant you talk to in Bend, right. that capacity reduction could be half of what they had during normal times, and it could be uh, 25%, 20% of what they were able to operate with. And either way, those are not sustainable for pretty much any business in Bend. So um, we really looked at three things, kind of going from the easiest to the hardest. One, the easiest was extending sidewalk seating for existing sidewalk cafe permits right. downtown with the um, with the permission of your neighboring businesses. Then we looked at tapping into private parking lots. So if you have a parking lot, reduce your parking requirement over the summer. It's 
to let you extend out into the parking lots. And then the big one, which of course has been generating the headlines, even at the source, thank you, Laurel, uh, <laughs> has been um, uh, using the right of way, uh, right? right. So, um, that one really started as these broad calls for let's, you know, have a big street festival all summer. And um, I think we realized pretty quick, the people calling for that may not be the same people that are actually interested in tapping into the right of way, right? I think we all enjoy uh, going downtown to an event, but let's figure out what restaurants want and, and retail wants and what they can actually manage. So from there, we, we got about 11 businesses to weigh in on using parking spaces, maybe some of the street travel lanes, not really on Bond and Wall, but on some of the side streets. Uh, and now we're at a point where these businesses have told us what they want to do. And we're working through kind of the final steps of how do we make it safe? Um, what sort of liability release forms do they need to sign very similar to an event or a sidewalk cafe around insurance and making sure, you know, if you're eating in a, in a, a parking bay, right, it may be done up, but how can you make sure if there's a toddler there, they're not going to run out into the sure. street, right? So how do we just kind of achieve that same threshold of safety that would be expected? Yeah, because as I understand it, the streets themselves will still be open. These are really cu essentially cutouts from the curb. That's right. Yeah, and uh, I think the one probably the, the most notable impact that's been proposed has been turning Minnesota into a one-way eastbound between Wall and Bond, uh, really to give to reduce from one two travel lanes to one, kind of pushing into the middle of the road. Um, but for the most part, it's folks really just trying to tap into parking. Uh, or alley space, right, and manage that, manage the deliveries and also the commercial use at the same time. Has this generated, I mean, for a long time, uh, historically, there's been underlying chatter about Minnesota as a pedestrian walkway, you know, an evolution. I think if I, my history serves that, that um, sculpture of the storks that sit on one end, we're going to connect with the birds and the breezeway on the other. And um, has, there, has this brought any of that back to the surface? I think some of the businesses that are proposing this have have an interest in a, a longer term change, right? Whether it's to Brooks Alley or Tin Pan or Minnesota, and they've brought that up. My my perspective right now has been: look, if we if we try to have that broader conversation, we're going to spin our wheels, right? So, right. Sure. Um, if you want to use that as a proof of concept and, and show it works, that's fantastic. But right now, let's just get folks into um, a safe use of the right-of-way that isn't infringing too much on businesses that don't want to use it but yeah. um and we'll we'll tweak it as we go that's typically not the way you make policy right uh right. that's why the policy process is so slow but in this case it's yep let's get something on the ground and hopefully by this time next week there's at least a couple of examples um that we can see uh going into into place and and how long do you think the approval process is going to take i mean i know some of them are pretty easy like um San Simeon and, and Tin Pan. Um, do you see these rolling out? Do they roll out individually or do they roll out as a block? Uh, they're going to roll out individually or at least by, I guess, location, right? So I think you might see Tin Pan Alley go first just because that's the, that's one that you have broad public support, broad business support in that sure. area for. Um, it's fairly easy to close an alley. Um, for, for some of the other folks, like the ones on Minnesota, the, I don't see the approval process being the hurdle as much as getting the equipment. So the city is not sitting on a mountain of equipment to be able to help out with these. And I, I know you're familiar with uh, just how much equipment is needed to, to set up any sort of event, especially, yep. especially one with traffic going through it. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the bigger hurdle I envision for someone like, uh, or some, 
a group like the, the ones on Minnesota is, while we might be able to help out with what we're calling the leading edge traffic control, so some heavier duty stuff, they still need to go around and get the other, other items and, and foot the bill for that themselves. Yeah. Which could be significant. I would think so, especially if it's going to be, a, I mean, I don't know if they're going to, how much they're going to have to renew, but, you know, having it in place or if it's a one time or it's like, they're getting checkups or, yeah, I mean, you're making this up as you go, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we do, we do have a fairly set process, right? So right. we have revo revocable right-of-way permits. We, we know how to handle OLCC licensure into the right-of-way. These are all things we do. It was sort of picking all this stuff off the shelf and trying to kind of mash it together into one thing very quickly, right? right? That we, um, that we're confident wasn't missing. There wasn't some big major blind spot. I think where the issues may come up um, are, are much more, are less about safety and liability and things like that. And, and what we're gonna, where our blind spots may be, of course they're blind spots, so we don't know, but probably more on the tweaking or the impacts or um, are there ways we could make these um, changes more just work better right with traffic flow and things like that that's may, that may be where you see more signage down the road or signs in different space places things like that have you had much opposition from downtown businesses for this plan uh, i mean i know there's always a pro and a con but would you call it real opposition i would say there's some folks that are concerned and and in some cases their concerns were um because they hadn't really heard about the nature of what was being proposed right mm -hmm. so in minnesota I think what happened early on was um, people got the impression that um, it was just going to be closed. And there's businesses on there that are doing curbside drop-off and pickup still, and they were concerned right. about that. Um, there, there, there's some opposition. I, I think folks are really trying to hang on to their parking uh, in certain cases, and or parking near their business, I should say. Um, I, I would say broadly, folks are supportive. And um, even the ones that aren't looking to tap into this opportunity, as long as we, as long as they understand that, you know, we're not just talking about a full closure of bond or wall or yeah. something like that, then they're they're okay. Yeah, I got to imagine that uh, eventually those they can see the benefit of if you have more seating, you have more humans that want to come down there and enjoy themselves. That's got to translate into walk-in for your business and stuff like that. I know some of them are appointment-based, but. Uh, it's not a bad model at all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it um, shakes out. One point I'd want to make clear too: while downtown is where we're seeing the interest right now, this is available citywide. I mean, if if someone has an idea in Northwest Crossing or at the Forum Shopping Center or at the north end of town that right. this would work, I, I I understand that the need is probably most acute downtown in the short term. Right? Sure. Um, we want this to be able to roll out everywhere. Uh, right. Same with those other two options I mentioned, which probably play better in larger commercial areas, right? With more parking sure. lots and things right. like that. Right. Laurel, did you want to uh, throw a question out? Well, I guess one of my questions was, um, was there any, was there ever any talk about this being like a full-on pedestrian district for a couple of months or was it always going to be this kind of compromised, like a few parking spots alley? Type plan. Yeah, that, that's a fair question. And we, I, so Councillor Chris Piper was, is, he, he's the liaison to both the Downtown Business Association and the Economic Development Advisory Board that I staff. Uh, so we were kind of in touch about this and there's, there's two models, right? So um, Palo Alto, um, Ashland, some other cities, I think with more kind of singular commercial areas did go the route of, let's just 
um, block off a couple of streets and let folks move out there. What you've seen from larger cities, and, and Ben's kind of in the middle, right? And Palo Alto may be bigger than we are, but I'm using them as an example. Uh, so Portland, Cincinnati, uh, they went down a route of, let's make this accessible to everyone um, and really allow folks to just extend where they think it, it works. So instead of having a city initiated process, they have what we call a business initiated process. Um, I think if we had got, you know, if, if I had circulated this interest form and we'd had all the businesses on Wall Street say, we want to use the right of way, our response would have been, okay, let's figure out how to make that work, right? Of course, you have, for larger streets, you have issues with emergency service access and all that sort of routing, but um, it, it was really, we're responding to the the desire of the business community at, at this point. And it could be iterative th during the summer as well. I mean, I've, something may work for these first three weeks that may attract more interest. And some of these um, uses of parking or closures or whatever you want to call them may actually um, extend as we go. Ben, in, in your work as a, as a business advocate, do you do much with remote workers or people who are working in their homes and that's, that's a, a business. I know it's a business. So. It is a business, yeah. yeah. And uh, we don't have great data on how many of those folks are here, right? But yeah. the conventional wisdom seems to be that we're one of the top uh, cities for it in the nation and, and really competing, not competing, but jockeying for position with um, military-based cities, right? Where you'd expect to see a lot of remote workers right. as that trailing spouse phenomenon that we talk about here as well. Um, so we do have, we have a remote worker on, on this EDAP on the Economic Development Advisory Board. And just earlier today, we're, we're taking a look at their strategic plan right now and saying, probably even though it's a three-year plan that runs through the end of 2021, probably need to work, um, rework some of the items here because it was done in the before times, right? And now we're moving into uh, some new before, normal. Before yeah. Zoom. Exactly, before Zoom. So um, I'd say from that perspective, I, I, I don't deal with a lot on a day-to-day -day basis because if you're a remote worker, you're, you may not be worried about getting a building permit or um, wondering why your extra strength charge for the sewer, sewer system is so high because those aren't things we typically run into right. in our own homes, right? Um, but there's, this is certainly something that could change, Bend, in, in the future. I, I was talking with a potential developer in town from the East Coast earlier today, and he was saying, yeah, I think more people are coming here and that's, and really to do that remote work, right? Rather than right. come here and um, bring their business. Yeah, there is kind of a mythology growing up around the percentage of remote workers. It's like they're everywhere. If we could just pull the curtains back, we'd see them in there. But, you know, we talked to an economist on this podcast earlier, he pegged it at 3%, which isn't that great. But, you know, when you get into conversations, that number just seems to keep climbing and climbing. Is there is there real numbers on how many of those folks are here? I, I don't think there's great numbers on it. Um, yeah. I wonder if, there, I, I don't know enough about the in-depth, the long-form census, right, to, to know if right. we capture any of the data there or if the American Community Survey might start tracking it. Uh, I've seen some numbers as high as 12%, but again, I, I can't tell you where those, where they came from off the top of my head. I'd say anecdotally, and you know, I, I think I've, I've been working with you, Aaron, since about two months after I started at the city. We had a, sure. something to work on in 2016. And uh, just in those four years, right, we've seen a whole lot more uh, co-working type spaces and also kind of more specialization in that area, which right. 
strikes me is what you would see if we were continuing to get um, to see growth in that in that industry, right? I mean, when when you go from I think we just had the tech center when I started, and now we have the Haven, and we have a uh, what's um the Embark, right? The only outdoor focused uh, co working space in the country, I think. Right, <laughs> we're seeing this specialization and right. this differentiation that we just didn't have before, and that must be because they're competing for uh, clients. Yeah, well, I mean, people are going to keep seeing our our how we handle pandemics here, and they're gonna they're gonna buy bunkers all around us, you know. So oh boy, it's our calling you card. Could you do that with an in Oregon land use law? I don't know if that would let you build a bunker anywhere. Uh, I think, <laughs> like you said, we don't even know what these people are doing out there. These remote workers. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I know that. Uh, Part of BDAB's work today focused around Visit Ben's um, proposals. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing from that organization? I know you're not Kevney, but uh, maybe talk sure. about BDAB's yeah. work with them. Yeah, so BDAB's role is really giving Visit Ben's annual business plan a, a, a solid vetting and recommendation before it goes to council for review. Uh, and that happens every year, typically about a month earlier than this, but of course, just like everything, it's delayed. Um, and what BDAP heard from VisitBend is, of course, it should surprise no one, significantly de decreased revenue. And about 30% of that revenue by state statute has to go to tourism promotion. VisitBend's our sole contractor for that. Um, the other 70% roughly uh, goes to the city general fund, pays for emergency services, streets, and the like. So um, the, the, the lack of revenue that VisitBend is going to see this coming year for marketing, tourism marketing, is also going to be reflected in our emergency service fund. And Visit Bend, fantastic marketers. Uh, I think we've all we're all familiar with how they yeah. can change their their um, mission and vision and, and be fairly nimble. I mean, the first month of this pandemic, they were helping us with messaging uh, just locally because uh, maybe the first two weeks, just because they they had the capacity and were willing to let us tap into their minds. But um, their their real phased approach is really starting with kind of regional repeat visitors not doing this broad um, broad marketing approach that they normally do out in San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, really focusing on um, folks around here and kind of broadening it to all of Oregon when we, we see that that's safe and really being nimble about it as well, understanding that there may be a time when they have to pull that marketing back just like they did for the pandemic too, right? If there was another shut shutdown and hopefully that isn't the case, they need to be able to flip that switch and uh, halt all marketing again, just like before. Yeah, I know you're, I know you guys are walking, I mean, visit Ben's troubles, again, it's 70-30. I mean, the lion's share of this is general fund. And um, I mean, like I saw in the recession, there's always before a recession or a downturn, a lot of this discussion about tourism, where tourism becomes somewhat of the enemy of, of the public good, which um, we saw in the last city council campaign. But do you see, I mean, I know there's some cautious, people want to be cautious about bringing people back in here, but do you feel that that's turning a bit now that people are starting to realize like these people buoy up a lot of our economies, our public service sectors? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think we're still too early into it to have good data. I, we are seeing a higher occupancy rates in our hotels, uh, but certainly not at the rate you would see for Memorial Day last year or anything like that, probably 30, 40%, 20, 20 to 40% lower on a given day than, than before with lower rates too. So people are coming back. And I think part of Visit Ben's role is educating folks that just because we have this great, you know, 
um, access to the outdoors and typically in the summer you're not this isn't the kind of city where you hang out in, inside all that much from about well present day accepted right until yeah, <laughs> September um, you still need to wear that mask you still need to do those those sort of good neighbor things and I've said, I'll, I'll say too as, as I've seen Kevney move into this role since I started um, his push for Visit Bend has really been around how do we equip people to be good stewards of or good visitors yeah. to Bend when they come so uh, they're continuing that tack under the under the umbrella of the pandemic as well. Are you, do you, at the city, what would you say is, um, if you're taking the temperature, I mean, and you're listening to different businesses, how much pressure is there for bringing more tourism in? These folks you're hearing from are like, hey, we got to be safe, hold this back. Percentage-wise, what would you say that looks like? Do you wow. have any feel? That's a, that's a tough one. I'd say it's almost 50-50 right now, but it probably is changing uh, week to week. Um, right. I, I've been saying um, for the last, uh, really since we hit phase one reopening, right, that um, I think there was some expectation we'd see business, businesses going under across the nation right away. Um, but really summertime is when a lot of our kind of core retail and hospitality businesses, service industry retail, um, it's, that's when they really make their bread and butter, right, that gets them through the rest of the year. Right. And I think folks are really grappling with that right now when they're looking at what's coming in and how it compares to last year um, while their PPP funds or their emergency loan funds are really um, dwindling, right? So right. Uh, I, I know there is concern and there's concern from businesses I, I hear about their employees and how do they make sure their employees are safe uh, because there are employees that don't want to come back to work either, right? If you're going to be interacting with a broad swath of the community every day and without masks on or what are, what's going to be done to protect them. So 50, 50. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't have a good, I couldn't give you a good number. Well, that's what I'm, I mean, I think we're in this strange period right now where it's very hard to tell. And that's why I always ask people who come on the podcast, uh, you know, trying to get a <laughs> sense of, of how people are moving out of this. I mean, you have some people who are, you know, it goes person to person and, um, Right now we are in this, I feel like we are in this 50-50 time where you can ask one person and they feel strongly that they're not coming out of their house and you can ask somebody else and they're mask off and, and they're going down to the bar. So it's just, I just didn't know if that had reached public policy level <laughs> at some place where you felt like, oh, the needle's starting to push a little more towards we got to open up or back the other way. No, I, th I think the only time councils really discussed an issue that might fall under that umbrella in the last, you know, two months or so was that there was a, a county commission discussion that shut down short-term rentals, right, in the right. county. Right. Uh, our council took that up maybe a week, uh, week, two weeks later, and it already seemed like the, the tide was turning. We saw the occupancy rates were at five or 10 percent, and it was a, key, a heated is probably a relative word, but it was a, an, a, a strong discussion among our counselors, right, and they were um, and they they ended up saying no, we're not gonna we're not gonna ban the use of short-term rentals or hotels here in town. And the data kind of bore out the fact that no one was no one outside of kind of essential workers were hanging out there anyway, right? So that was the one time councils kind of dipped their toe into that. But phase two is gonna run for who knows how long, right? And I think we're gonna see more discussions on the economic side of this going forward, where before 
the real focus was public health, right? And of course that's not going away, but um, we have a, a pretty big economic emergency that's sitting yeah. that as well. Well, I, I do think that a lot of the PPP monies, the CARES monies, um, a lot of the loans that uh, disaster relief loans have have floated people to a point where they've been able to push those economic discussions onto the back burner. But as these numbers roll out for the summer season, when we know this is where a lot of people make hay, um, the winter will be interesting. And we're, where we're seeing 70%, you know, of, of the tourism fund backing the general fund. I mean, that's quite a, that's quite a knock given there's not a lot of tourists here right now. No. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'll say our big concern, or I've, I've heard it from counselors. I know staff as well. Um, some 40%, 45% of the $1.6 billion that was allocated to the state under the CARES Act is supposed to be trickling down to municipalities, counties, um, in part for business assistance. And we're still waiting, uh, <laughs> two and a half weeks later. So wow. starting to see some some of it trickling out, but um, much like I was saying about our right-of-way program earlier, you know, this is an, a now emergency, right? It's not a, let's roll something out in 2021 to get this going again. Um, sure. I think that's where we're confronting, we're confronting that a similar frustration with our, our friends at the state right now. So. Yeah. Laurel, did you? Oh, I, have a I guess I just had a clarifying question about like, what you're what you're hearing from small businesses in the community like i've heard some pretty dire statistics that like at the end of this the 40 percent of small businesses are going to go under and i'm just curious like do you do you feel like the ppp and the disaster loans have really thrown them a life jacket and that we're gonna sit pretty here and bend or what's your sense of what it's like out there yeah, I mean, that's a good clarifying question. It's kind of a tough one, tough one to answer, <laughs> question, but uh, um, I, I'd say no. I, I, I don't, I feel like businesses here in town have received a little bit of help uh, during a very dire time with the PPP, right? And hopefully this broadening of the rules and the forgiveness and, and whatnot lets them use that money a little more strategically than just trying to sort of shovel it out the door at the end, right? So you get it forgiven. Um, but I don't think it's going to be enough uh, to get to get folks um, into um, any sense of being stable and normal uh, coming out of the summer. And, and I'd say um, my concern is not July, but it, it's September, October, November. Is that when we're starting to look around and, and see storefronts that are empty that can, used to contain businesses we really liked for a long time, right? So I'm certainly hearing the same dire stories. Um, I'd say there's been some uplifting ones too, where folks have really pivoted and they're, um, they're either online only, or I, I think Avid started canning, well, not canning their beer, but it certainly seems like it's more places now. And uh, right. they, they moved some of their tap house folks into the production facility. And um, I know they were driving around with their little Avid ambulance or whatever that is as well. But I, there's a fair number of those sort of stories as well, right? And I don't know which one to balance more. My sense is there's probably more economic pain by a long shot than there is these real success stories right now. But part of tapping into our, our partners like the Chamber and EDCO and the Small Business Development Center, East Cascades Works, as well as how do we limit the damage, help folks that can retool, retool into something else. And then if you are in a business that just isn't going to make it, can we get you connected with some experts that can help you not just not throw good money after bad, but 
you know, move into something that might actually have a better outlook. And um, those are probably more, like I said, second half of this year conversations with a lot of people. Um, we've been thinking in sort of three tranches. So stabilize businesses, preserve them during this downturn, and then recover when we have a vaccine and, uh, you know, we're, we're back to downtown events and all that stuff, which won't be two or three years, Aaron. It's going to be... <laughs> Yeah, yeah the vaccine's right around the corner. That's what I was saying. It's right here. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, there's a lot of tough stories out there. And I, I'd say the toughest ones I've heard since this started were sole proprietor salons that were just oh, shut yeah. down, right? And, and those folks have had so many issues with the unemployment system. And I, I've, I mean, had some really tough emotional calls with some of those folks over the last uh, three months. For sure. Thanks for sharing that. Ben, we're reaching the end of our time together. Is there anything you want to speak to before we uh, send you back to the city and its array <laughs> of stuff? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I guess uh, the only thing I'd I'd mention I'm I'm working on. If you're interested in any of the programs I, yeah. I mentioned today, uh, I'm, we have bendoregon.gov/reopening is where we're putting um, updated phase two guidelines as they come out and also these right-of-way programs and things like that. And I'd encourage anyone uh, to go check those out. And if you have questions, um, you can reach out to me and I'll, I'll help shepherd you through the process or get you in touch with someone that can, depending on which one it is. Great. Ben, you did great work down there. Thanks for taking the time out of everything you got going on to do this. And uh, we really appreciate it. Cool. This was fun. I've never done a podcast before. I feel like I've really arrived now. So thank you. You're a celebrity. <laughs> You're going to go huge now. <laughs> All right, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Laura. Thank you.